0: If you would, please stand with me. I'm going to read God's Word, Luke chapter 4, verse 1 through 13. I used to say, uh, take a chance to stand and stretch your legs. Uh, You won't get to do it again for the next two hours, but I don't preach that long (laughs) anymore. So, Luke chapter 4, then Jesus, verse 1 through 13, then Jesus, being filled with the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan River was led by the spirit into the wilderness being tempted for 40 days by the devil and in those days he ate nothing and afterward when they had ended he was hungry and the devil said to him if you are the son of God command this stone to become bread but Jesus answered him saying it is written man shall not live by bread alone but by every word of God Then the devil, taking him up on a high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said to him, All this authority I will give you, and their glory, for this has been delivered to me, and I give it to whomever I wish. Therefore if you will worship before me, all will be yours. And Jesus answered and said to him, Get behind me, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God and him only you shall serve. Then he brought him to Jerusalem, set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down from here for it is written. He shall give his angels charge over you to keep you and in their hands, they shall bear you up lest you dash your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered and said to him, it has been said, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. Now when the devil had ended every temptation, He departed from him until an opportune time. Mighty God, we bow our head before you and we pray your rich blessings upon the word of God. My heart is burdened today for Israel, and so I pray, God, that you would move in behalf of the land of Israel. God, as this invasion has taken place, I just pray, God, for your peace. Your word says that if we would pray for the peace of Jerusalem, we would be blessed. And so, God, we pray for peace. We pray for Rescue we pray for safety you have always been faithful unto your own and so God you have a covenant according to your word the Abrahamic covenant with them and we pray God that you will move in their behalf and Rescue we thank you for peace. We thank you Lord. You're the author of peace there really is no peace without you in a family a home or a nation and so we pray for that in Jesus mighty name now bless this word Bless our pastors and in, in, uh, their absence today in Jesus name. And everybody said, amen. amen. You may be seated. Thank you so much for standing. Uh, I take, I take it that you've been here, uh, those of you that have been here, unless you're visiting for the first time, you remember our pastors taking us on a better understanding of uh, the love of God, the wonderful love of God through Jesus. His uh, study has been called, listen to Jesus. And how many of you trust Jesus? Uh, man, that's a good number in a in a Christian church, about half of us. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I trust him. I trust him. I take him at his word. I, I believe the Lord. And he promises us his provision. He promises us that he would not just provide for us but protect us and lead us into purpose and destiny. I believe that God will, will do that. I, I know that he will. I've experienced it in my lifetime. And so Pastor Robbie's been leading us on that study. And I really believe that if we take God at his word concerning his great love for us, then we can walk in absolute peace and confidence and faith and trust. It's so much wrapped up in our understanding of Jesus, probably even our understanding of the love of God. Do you realize how much God loves you? Turn to someone beside you and say, God is so crazy about you. He's crazy about you. Absolutely mad about you. See, the Bible teaches us really that Jesus is love personified. He's love manifested in the flesh. God manifested in the flesh. 1 John chapter 4, you remember verses 8 and 16, tell us that. They t- both tell us that God is love. And Paul wrote in Colossians chapter 2 and verse 9 that in Jesus dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. So if, if God is love and all the fullness of God dwells in Jesus, then Jesus is the personification of love. If you want to know what love really is and love looks like, look at Jesus. There you co- So when we begin to understand the love of God, we really begin to understand God because that's who Jesus is. And Jesus himself then came to make sure that we understand what love really is. And there is no greater love than that a man would lay down his life for his friend. And so Jesus laid his life down for you and I and demonstrated to us how much, how desperately he loves us and to what lengths he would go to show us how much he loves us. Jesus is the purest love made flesh. He is the purest because there's no greater love than the love of God. So Jesus is the purest love you'll ever know in life, made flesh. And that's the reason we do not really understand the way God feels about us. It's, it's because of our own lack of love. We don't love the way we ought to love. And so it's hard for us to comprehend a love like that that loves you in spite of your failures and overlooks your sin and forgives your sins. Isn't it amazing? Because we're used to the kind of love that says you got one strike, maybe two. Some people might give you three strikes and then you're out, right? But somehow God loves us in spite of that. You can, you can fail. You can, you can be, you can be in prison for a crime you did commit. And Jesus is still reaching out to you behind bars because he loves you. Family might have given up on you. Society might have given up on you. But how many of you are glad that Jesus' love never gives up on you? No one else is reaching out to you. He's reaching out to you. And that's so hard for us to understand. He even loves our enemies. (laughs) Wow. I mean, and so we have a hard time understanding that kind of love because we, well, we just typically don't love that way unless we allow the love of God to shine through us. And if His love doesn't shine through us to others, they never experience the love of God from us. They experience just the same kind of human love that they may feel from other people. And so it's important for us to understand how how that because of sin... We were all born into sin. It means we were all also born into selfishness. And that's right, all of us, even you. Every one of us were born into sin. Every one of us are guilty of that great sin of selfishness. Nobody had to teach you the sin of selfishness. Uh, for instance, if uh, work in the nursery one weekend. As a matter of fact, that's a great recommendation. Uh, for uh, go back in the nursery, toddlers' room, and and you'll see children that uh, they'll be playing with toys and one of them will have one in their hand and and they'll uh, be playing with it and look over and see another one having fun with a toy and all of a sudden it's They just toss theirs down and go crawling over there and grab the other one. And there's this tug of war over the one the other had. See, Who taught them that? Well, it wasn't mom and dad. They're not old enough to really learn that. They were born with that. We were all born into sin, into the sin nature. And so it's natural for us to be selfish. And that's what is taking place here in this temptation in the wilderness. I call this message the day the devil tempted love because of the simple fact that God is love, Jesus is love personified. And when I look at this passage, I see the adversary trying to tempt the love of God, attempting to tempt love, attempting to tempt Jesus. And so he's making this incredible effort this is incredible um uh expend he's expending all the energy he has he's come with three great temptations he's speaking to three areas of life that he's tempted so many of us before and so many of us since have fallen prey to this uh, sin of selfishness and so he comes and he tempts he always tempts love with self he always tempts love with selfishness that's what happens within marriage that's what happens within friendships it's what happens with all relationships. You see, selfishness becomes a lethal threat to all the relationships in your life. Selfishness endangers your relationship with your friends, with your family, even a danger to marriage. And that's that's the reason why selfishness becomes a very real threat to all of our relationships, because selfishness is the opposite of love. Selfishness is the one thing that if the adversary could have tempted love that day, If he could have tempted Jesus with selfishness to do something for himself rather than for us, then the whole motive of Jesus coming to the earth would have been jeopardized. All of our relationship with the Lord, all of it, had Jesus been selfish that day, had Jesus took the temptation of the bread, or the the temptation of being promoted as, as king over all of the world, or the temptation to throw himself down and avoid Calvary, Why go all the way to the cross when all you've got to do to prove who you are is leap from the temple and angels will appear and bear you up. You don't have to go through that suffering. You don't have to fulfill the purpose of of God the Father. There's a shortcut. There's another way. It's, It's called selfishness. Do something for yourself, Jesus. And so the adversary came that day and tempted love with selfishness. Oh my, and I'm convinced that that's the, much of the difficulty, not just in, in our world today, is everybody looking out for self, but I, I think it's also the difficulty when it comes to, to relationships, to marriage, even in church. Some of the difficulties, the problems that happen in the house of God, based on my 49 years of experience in ordained ministry, is based on the sin of selfishness individuals that are looking out for themselves. They're not thinking about the corporate need or about the local church or anything like that. Their their thoughts are, are on themselves. And so the devil knows that love will destroy selfishness. And that's why here in our text, the spirit of God leads Jesus on a 40 day fast into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And there the devil attempted to tempt love, love manifested in human form. And let me just share with you how we can get rid of the selfishness in our own heart. Is there anybody in here who wants to get rid of selfishness out of your own heart? Man, I do. About as many as love the Lord a minute ago. That's awesome. There's probably some connection with that. I'm just teasing. Love is God's bridge out of selfishness. John 3.16 says, For God so... Love the world that he, wow, you think about the sacrifice of the Lord, the way he loved, and it's love that motivated him to go to the cross. As a matter of fact, love is what's going to bring Jesus back. Not only did love send Jesus to the earth, but love sent Jesus to the wilderness to be tempted. Love sent Jesus to the multitudes, to the cross. Love sent Jesus to the grave and even to hell itself. And then love sent Jesus to heaven, and love will bring Jesus back. In 1 John chapter 4 and verse 17, the Bible says of the coming of the Lord, of Jesus coming back, it says, Love has been perfected among us in this. This is like the fulfillment and the perfection of love in you and I, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. In other words, when Jesus comes back, How many of you believe he's coming back? Love will have been perfected in you and I, hallelujah. And that love brings Jesus back to the earth. And it also gives us that love, gives us boldness in the day of judgment. Because I know how much he loves me. I don't have fear in in the day of judgment. I know that my salvation is secure. I know I'm right with God. I have peace with God. Can somebody shout hallelujah? you can you can go into into life threatening surgery you can you can find yourself facing the difficulties of life and in all of that there's this incredible peace that you feel when you know the lord loves you because you just everything rests in the hands of a loving faithful god hallelujah oh my how many of you love him today and so and then the bible says because as he is so are we in this world I used to think that it meant just simply that we are we have to live like Jesus, but it means much more than that because because it 's talking about the love of God being manifest we 've got boldness in the days of day of judgment because as he is. So are we in this world? In other words, the same righteousness that Jesus had on the day of judgment, that's what we have on the day of judgment. The same love that's in his heart, that's what's in us. Can somebody shout hallelujah? We've been covered and clothed with the righteousness of God, so we have boldness in the day of judgment because as he is, so are we right now in this world. Oh, my goodness. To know that right now in this moment, I'm like Jesus. Hallelujah. Now you know when we, I love 1 John chapter 3, not going to turn there, verses 1 through 3, but it talks about how that that even though we're not what we ought to be, we are loved perfectly by the Lord. He already sees us complete. He already sees the finished work. He already sees you at the end of the road. So when he looks at you, he sees Jesus. I'm so thankful, aren't you? When he looks at you, he sees his righteousness all over you. Oh, that's so comforting. That's so comforting. Because as he is, so are we, as he is, so are we in this world. And then we have this opportunity, this bridge out of selfishness—not just to have this boldness and confidence that is coming, but also so there's no reason for me to be selfish. I have nothing to prove. I'm fine. I'm. And when I stand in the presence of the Lord at the day of judgment, how many of you are glad to know that everything is well? It is well with my soul. And so when you know that and you understand that, you've got this bridge out of selfishness. I don't have to live selfish. I have, I'm loved, perfectly loved by God. He's going to take care of everything. And so then you love others just like Jesus loves you. Philippians 2 verse 1 through 4, not only at his coming has love brought me out of selfishness because I'm ready, because I'm the same, I'm as he is, so am I in this world, but also I can love people the way Jesus loves them. You see, part of our problem, our fallacy with selfishness is we think we can't love people the way Jesus does. But the truth is, as He is, so are we in this world. So you are capable, I said, you are capable of bringing the love of Jesus into your own home and family. You're able to love your spouse, your enemies. Your, your friends, your, all of your relationships, that nasty, foul mouthed fellow employee, you have, you have an ability because of the great love of God to love them the way Jesus loves them. And that, I know that takes a work of the Holy Spirit, but think about it. Philippians 2, verse 1 through 4, the Bible says, Paul expressing his great desire for us to love others. He says, Therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, You see it there if any fellowship of the spirit if any affection and mercy fulfill my joy by being like-minded having the same love being of one accord of one mind let nothing be done nothing be done through selfish there it is through selfish ambition or conceit but in lowliness of mind let each esteem others better than himself Let each of you look out, not only for his own interest, but also for the interest of others. The next verse says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. So if you and I want the mind of Christ, we've got to love like Jesus did, and we have to feel this way about everybody around us. Amen. And that's why I asked you earlier to say, From your your own lips that God is love and he is crazy about you. Even had you turn to your neighbor and say to them, the Lord is mad about you, crazy about you. Because now you have to believe that. And you need to love them just like you confess that Jesus loved them. (laughs) Now let's try that. Turn to that person beside you and say, I love you just like Jesus loves you. (laughs) Oh, that was tough, wasn't it? See, there is this struggle. Oh, it's easy to tell everyone, oh, God loves you. See, I got saved in the Jesus revolution. That was our thing. We went around telling everybody, Jesus loves you. Jesus loves you. We carried signs, flower power, Jesus loves you. (laughs) (laughs) But to say, I love you like Jesus loves you, man, what a challenge that is. But when we can love one another in that way, when we can fulfill, we can have that same love and that same mind that was in Christ Jesus, then we have destroyed selfishness. Because what happens when we love that way is his love motivates unselfish actions. Let me talk about that just for a moment. His love, when it's in you, you find yourself pursuing unity above your own self-interest, in verse two, there in, our, in that passage, you remember it said, "Fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord." That's unity of one mind. Man, if there's one thing we need right now in our country, is there anybody who believes America needs a little bit of unity? <laughs> Come on, is there anyone in here thinks our families could use more unity? Our marriages could use more unity. Our churches could use more unity. Ephesians 2, verse 14 through 16, not going to read all of those verses, but there you'll read that Jesus is our peace, who has broken down the walls between us, that Jesus made us of two, one new man, and he did it by reconciling us unto God in one body by the cross. So the work for this was finished at Calvary's cross. Don't doubt that God can complete his good work in you because according to Ephesians 2 verse 14 through 16, it was already done at the cross. He destroyed all the enmity between us, all the strife between us through the cross itself. And that's why love destroys envy. Because love always rejoices when others are blessed. Love has no problem preferring others above themselves. Let each esteem others better than themselves, and that's why love destroys envy. It gets rid of all of the strife and the jealousy and the selfishness. See anything in your life that is keeping you from rejoicing when other people are blessed? Isn't it funny? We can pull up and uh, you know I'm in our car in the parking lot, and we can park, and as we're parking. Uh, that old clunker, we're driving it in, and we pull in, and the, got the doors wired on. Some of you don't know what that's like. I know exactly what all that's like. I mean, I lived in my car. We were homeless for, for a few years. I understand what that's like. And so it, it found itself at the end of its life. It, the, literally, the little red Chevette we had caught on fire. We rode it so hard and so long it caught on fire trying to cross over the mountain back into Tennessee. We're on the side of the road, car in flames. Got the family out of it, hallelujah, praying for the Lord's provision. And, and within an hour, there was a pastor sitting right beside us on the side of the road, took us back down the mountain, helped us get another car. I tell you, you've got to trust God. Can somebody shout hallelujah? He's your provider. So you prioritize the concerns of others. Let each of you look not only, verse four says, let each of you look out not only for his own interest, but also for the interest of others. Love will cause you to abstain from the things that you're free to do things that would cause your brother to stumble because you're prioritizing their concern above your own desires. Selfishness is an odd thing when it grabs, hangs on to the heart of a Christian. It battles the love in us that says, I'm not going to do that. I'm free to do it, but I'm not going to do it because it would offend or hurt my brother. Oh, I'm free to do this other thing, but I'm not going to do it because it would offend or hurt my brother. It's a mark of maturity to be able to lay down your own desires and prioritize the concerns of others. That's good preaching right there, Brother Richard. That's a hard one to swallow, but keep it up. And the verse 5 then adds, we have to pattern the mindset of Jesus. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, Philippians 2, 5. So since love is the mindset, the mind of Christ... Love is God's bridge out of selfishness. No wonder the devil hates love. I said, no wonder the devil hates love. You know, I've got to, I've got to say to you, honestly, from the depth of my heart, I, I prayed about, God, how can I illustrate this battle between love and selfishness? And when God took me to this passage, because I was, I was asked recently, aren't you concerned about your surgery? And I was like, well, of course I am. Well, you don't seem that you're very concerned. Well, um, why be? Because God's on the throne; He loves me. Whatever happens, it's the will of God. I trust Him that completely. Nobody loves me like Him. I put my heart in my in His hands a long time ago. Well, I'll I'll be I've been saved now fifty-two years, and went into ministry when I was 19. I'm just here to tell you that he has never let me down. Is anybody in this room serve a faithful God? He's a faithful God. So when, when you find yourself, I sort of said, God, how can I? I feel like the real battle is between this self-concern that help me impart some peace. If this was the last time I ministered, help me impart peace into the heart of your people. How can I do that? And God brought me back to this temptation in the wilderness. And I thought, and then suddenly it hit me. Well, it wasn't just Jesus being tempted in the wilderness. Love was being tempted. Every fiber of Jesus that would have looked out for himself was overcome that day he would later go to gethsemane near the end but he overcome all of his self-interest immediately following his baptism he hadn't performed a miracle yet he, he hadn't done he he hadn't done any he hadn't launched out into his ministry but at the conclusion of being baptized by john the holy spirit fell in the form of a dove upon him as he came out of the water and the father said this is my beloved son in whom i am well pleased straight into the wilderness for 40 days When the devil shows up then and tempts him. And when he came out of there, the Bible said he came out with the power of the Holy Ghost upon him. Can somebody shout hallelujah? Because love itself in Christ could not be tempted, could not be defeated. And so I I wanted to share with you the thing. I think the key that will bring the most peace to your life and the most victory to your life, your home, your family, your marriage, and that is to overcome the selfishness in yourself and let the love of Jesus shine big in you personal desires three temptations here they are we all face them and Jesus won them for that, that day first of all there's personal desires or what in the gospel of Mark Jesus called the lust of the flesh and then there's self-promotion and that's what he also called them the lust of the eyes and then there is pride there The scripture says we're tempted with the pride of life. So there are three things that we're tempted with. And so Jesus is tempted with a physical manifestation of all of those. The adversary comes first and tempts him with bread. You remember in verses 1 and 2, the personal desires of Jesus are tempted. His own hunger with bread. Jesus being filled with the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan, led by the Spirit into the wilderness, being tempted for 40 days by the devil, and in those days he ate nothing, and afterward when they were ended he was hungry. So the devil comes along and, and tempts him with bread. That's what the adversary first comes. He comes and tempts you with your personal desires, the lust of the flesh, over the desires or concerns or interests of others. And so you find yourself, Jesus has a purpose. He's been sent there with a purpose. And so he's, he's come to die for you and I. And the adversary immediately, initially is tempting him with his personal desires. You're hungry. Feed yourself. Take care of yourself. Make sure that you, you're okay. All you've got to do, just turn that stone right there into bread and your, your personal needs will be met. You see what the enemy wants to do when he comes to you, how he deals with us is he's, he wants you and I to become overly concerned with our own provision. It's not that God doesn't provide. I gave you a story how he provided us with an automobile when ours had caught on fire as young evangelists. I, time would fail me to tell you of, of the times that we had nothing to eat in the house, and Robbie and Ricky and, and Rebecca, our children, were with they were all small. And there would come a knock on the door. I'd be in the altar in a little sanctuary praying, "God provide, God make a way." I've done everything I knew to do to provide for our family ourselves, and there wasn't anything left in the cabinets. But a knock would come on the door, and someone would say, "I was in Atlanta." <laughs> And God spoke to me in Atlanta in a motel room after a business meeting and said, your pastor needs groceries. So I drove straight home from Atlanta and I met up with a couple of brothers, Charlie Cash, who's battled a stroke and still comes here to this church, and Randy Taylor and my brother David showed up on the doorstep because the voice of God said, your pastor needs groceries. I didn't advertise it. I didn't put it. There was no Facebook then. I didn't. (laughs) But God, I wish somebody would lift your hands right now and say, but God. (laughs) Satan wants you to become overly concerned with your own provision. He knows that if you cannot trust Jesus to provide, you will not love enough to give. And so if Jesus could not deny himself bread, how could he ever provide bread for a multitude? If we cannot trust God for our own provision, how can we do the Father's will and prefer our brother? It's like First Kings chapter 17. It's all through the scriptures. One quick example. The widow of Zarephath and Elijah, in a time of famine, they were down to their last meal. And she was making a cake with a cruse of oil, a little bit of oil, a little bit of bread, making her last meal. And the prophet of God shows up and says, make me a cake first. And she says to him, Oh, but I just have enough for my son and I. We're going to eat one last meal and then we're going to die. And he said, trust God and make my meal first. And make me a little, so she made him a little cake. Everything was empty. Oil was gone. And he said, God now will take care of you for the next three years of famine. I wish somebody would give the Lord a praise offering. She went back to that meal barrel when she overcame in a time of famine. Come on, don't tell me we won't be tested sometime. But in that time of famine, if you'll trust God for your provision, go ahead and give to the things of God. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. If I can't give out of my need, then I will not never have an abundance. Can somebody shout hallelujah for God to bless me with? And so I've got to trust God with my provision. And how would we be able to give to our brother in his time of need if I can't trust God for my own need? How would I have faith to give to the work of God? How would I have faith to give to my enemies as Jesus told us to do, even in, even in the Sermon on the Mount? So giving is the evidence that I trust God to provide. That's tweetable right there. <laughs> giving is the evidence that I trust God to provide. In Genesis 22, 14, as a matter of fact, Abraham offers his son Isaac, and there God provides a lamb. You remember the story? He was going to offer his own son, which God did not really desire of him. It was a pagan practice, but it, this test of his own love and desire to follow after God, he's on the mountain there, and the lamb, the ram bleats in the, in the bushes, and So he goes and it's caught in the thicket and he takes and says, Look, God has provided the sacrifice and he named that place Jehovah Jireh, which means the Lord has provided Abraham called the name of that place Jehovah Jireh Jehovah Jireh God who provides. I'm glad it's not Richard Jireh. I'm glad it's not Paul Jireh or John Jireh the Jireh brothers. I'm glad that Jehovah is my provider. Love will trust God for provision. It'll put faith in every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. That's why Jesus' response to the devil was, we don't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. He promised that he would take care of me. Can somebody shout hallelujah? I'll not live in fear. I'll trust him for provision. Love will deny itself. It's selfishness that says, I'll take care of old number one. And then, of course, there's there's the lust of the eyes. In Luke 4, verse 5 through 7, the devil took him up into a high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said unto him, All this power will I give you, all the glory of them, for it's delivered unto me. To whomever I will, I'll give it. Worship me, and it'll all be yours, the kingdom of this world. See, Satan wants you and I to become overly concerned with our own promotion as well. That's how selfishness enters in. I've got to make my way and push my way to the top. But see, the devil knows that if you cannot trust God with your future, then you'll never prefer your brother in love. If Jesus had chosen to promote himself that day and say, that's a great idea, I don't have to go to the cross that day when Satan tempted love, how could he have chosen the Father's will to humble himself and become obedient even to the death of the cross? You see, knowing that God enables you to trust him with your future, knowing that you can with patience survive the process that produces the purpose. If you'll you'll trust God with your future and your destiny, then he'll do for you like he did for Joseph in Egypt, for Daniel in Babylon, for Jesus, On the other side of the cross, Satan knows the moment you begin to promote yourself rather than trust God with your future that you're worshiping him. You're worshiping yourself. You're worshiping the adversary. You need to trust God with your future. He will promote you. Psalm 75 verse six through nine says, lift not up your horn on high. (laughs) Speak not with a stiff neck for promotion comes neither from the east or from the west or from the south, but God is the judge. He puts down one and sets up another. Selfishness says, I've got to promote myself above others. But love says, I'll worship only the Lord and I'll trust him with my future. It's amazing to me that the devil promises that he can promote you. And maybe he can, I don't know the extent of his his abilities. I'm just here to tell you, he can't promote you to God's purpose. And if you choose his way above God's way, you'll regret that. The last temptation was pride, the pride of life. Satan brings Jesus to Jerusalem, Luke 4, 9 through 11, sets him on the pinnacle of the temple and says, cast yourself down and angels will bear you up and everyone will see that you're the son of God. Again, no need for the cross. Just throw yourself down. You see, the pinnacle was 164 feet high in Christ's day, the pinnacle of the temple. It was a platform built at the southwest corner of the temple, and it, that's where everybody's attention would be, and the priest would step out on it. trumpet would sound, reminding everybody to pray. So just get up there and leap off, and everyone at this time of prayer will see it, and they'll know who you are. The Bible tells us that Jesus wouldn't do it. Selfish pride would have made him bypass the cross. That was the Father's plan. I wish I could tell you that the Father's plan didn't include a cross, but according to the word of God, it does. (laughs) Take up your cross and follow him. Deny yourself, the scripture says, and take up your cross and follow him. Sometimes there's some difficulties. Sometimes there's some trials. But you trust God through that, knowing that in the end, I'm I'm not going to shortcut God's purpose. You see, what happens is Satan's plan was leap off the temple, but the father's plan was the cross. And if you don't trust God in his process, then you'll try to take shortcuts to God's purpose. The word presume, the sin of presumption is just simply means to take it for granted. And that means I'm taking it for granted that I have a better way. I'm taking it for granted that I have a shortcut that'll work a little better God than this. And so I'm gonna bypass that pain. I'm gonna say no to that calling. I'm gonna resist your challenge from your word and just trust that I know a better way. I have a better way. I I have an easier way. I have a simpler way than God's way. But when you do that, you're second guessing God. And never tempt God by presuming that Jesus will still move and send angels. You remember the devil said, oh, he'll send angels and they'll bear you up. And you remember Jesus' response? You don't tempt the Lord thy God. So I'm not going to tempt God by going my own way, going the way of selfishness. I'm not going to tempt God and say, well, I'm going to do this anyway, and you're still going to send angels and everything's going to work out because it's just going to work out. And I'm, So we jump in there presuming God will work it all out like he did before, but in many cases we find ourselves in a mess of our own making. Can somebody say amen? Because we, we went ahead of God and we did it our way. And we married out of the will of God, or we moved out of the will of God, or we took a job out of the will of God. You're preaching now, Brother Richard. Are we, are we hang out with a crowd that God's word told us we shouldn't be associating with? Are we, are we said, I'm going to go in a way. I'm going to, I'm going to do some drugs. I'm going to go in this sin. I'm going to, I'm going to compromise on my marriage. But listen, do not presume against God. Do not abuse your own body physically with drugs or sexually with sinful lifestyles or even spiritually by going after and trying out some false religion. Instead, put your confidence in the Lord God. Trust Him only, worship Him only, bow before Him only. (laughs) Hallelujah. There is no other way. Would you stand with me? We need to pray, I'm over time two minutes, so. No, I want to give you a moment to pray. When selfishness doubts God, when selfishness doubts God, when selfishness doubts that love can bring them over the temptation, it's for these three reasons then, just to summarize. First, you've got to understand that love will trust God with provision. You've got to trust God to provide for you. I don't know how many fellows are sitting in jail somewhere because they thought, well, you know, I can sell this uh, drug I've been asked to sell. And I'll sell that. I can make more money in that than I could make in a year in an honest job. And now they're sitting in jail somewhere because they looked for a shortcut or tried to go another way other than trusting God to provide just go ahead and go through the process. Trust God to provide. Get a job. Can somebody shout hallelujah? <laughs> go to college. Work. Trust God with your provision. Trust him to provide more than enough. How many of you believe he's the God of more than enough? And trust him with your promotion. Trust God through the process to promote you in this life. You know, when you plan a church, there's a, there's a lot of trusting that goes on. We when you travel in evangelism, as we did back in the day, uh, it was different, it just, God said do it, so you did it and, and you trusted him to provide and he miraculously provided step by step through all of those years. Some of the best memories, even though they might have been in pretty poor days, <laughs> some of the best memories for my wife and I and even our children, were those, those almost four years living out of our car traveling from church to church, preaching and singing, preaching the gospel. Some of the best stories and the laughter and the joys came from those times. (laughs) Our first little apartment. That first baby, Robbie, that came along, not knowing the future God had for him, but just trusting God with him. trusting the Lord for for baby food and for milk and provision and what wonderful stories of the miracles of God, the provision of Jesus. Trust God in the hard times. Hear me. Trust Him. Stay faithful to Him. Don't take the shortcut. Believe that God will promote you and love will trust God with His purpose. Trust Him with your destiny. Bow your heads with me. We'll pray. Today I'm speaking to someone who perhaps has drifted from the Lord, ran from the purpose of God. Satan tempted you with something that drew you aside. I want to tell you it's not too late. Satan always tempts you with something that God's already promised you. (laughs) Jesus didn't need Satan to promote him or provide for him. The Father would give him a name which is above every name that at the name of Jesus, every knee would bow. Angels would come, but not at the leaping off the temple, but after he had overcome the temptation, God the Father sent angels to minister to him, to feed him, to care for him. Oh, angels will come. Hear me, hear me, child of God. They will arrive and God has not abandoned you. No matter what you're going through, trust God. Trust him with provision trust him through the process he will fulfill his purpose in your life angels will minister to you god will work miracles throughout your life and in your behalf trust him father in jesus name we pray for those that are here that you will meet every need that you will move above and beyond all they could have ever thought that you would do i pray for the faith to arise in in trust in you today in the heart of every believer in this room That they will trust you with provision with promotion with all the promises that you've made that we would put your word above everything else and that we would not yield to selfishness and go after our own desires but instead we would trust you through the process because you are our our provider and you are where promotion comes from we thank you for that rid our hearts of selfishness fill our hearts with your great love in jesus name amen Amen. Well, our altar workers are coming around the front, and I want to invite you, if you're here and you haven't given your heart to Jesus, I would love it if you'd come down here and allow me the joy of praying with you. If not, pray right where you are in your seat, and watch what God will do in your behalf. Let me know the decision you've made. God bless you. We hope to see you again. Hug each other. Shake hands.